0: Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here with you today to worship together. And I'm looking forward to our study we have together in John chapter 4. If you'll get your Bibles there, turn with me to John chapter 4. We have some uh, really interesting things to consider. Uh, I just hope I don't get in the way of what God has for us because these are the words of life. These are words from God himself that he penned for us. And if we ever lose sight of that, if I ever lose sight of that, then I'm missing the whole point. So I hope I just don't get in the way of that this morning. And we're going to study through a little bit of John chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. We'll go through uh, almost to the end of the chapter, and we'll cover a little bit from Hebrews chapter 12. We'll take a little bit of a detour. But those are going to be the two places we spend pretty much all of our time this morning. So in John chapter 4, beginning in verse verse 5, we're going to start reading there. It says, So he came to a city of Samaria which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. I like that little detail that Jesus was tired. <clears throat> he felt the, the, the pains and the tires of, of his traveling, of the things he deals with on a daily basis. There, there are simple things like that that show us the humanity of Jesus, just a little nugget. He sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And now with uh, their timekeeping, this was about noon. It's about the six, six hours after, day, uh, after daylight, so about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink for me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans." So we're going to start to see the, who this woman is that he's talking to. I want you to picture him going outside the city, letting his, his, uh, his disciples, his friends, go off into the city to get some food. But he's got some business to take care of outside. And he goes and he sits and he waits, and this woman comes by. Now, this is the Middle East, so if you want to picture them, these are not white people. These are Middle Eastern, and she comes along in the middle of the day. And a couple things we have so far about her is that this is noon. And that she's a Samaritan. And she, first of all, she brings up this, this controversy. She's like, I'm a Samaritan. You guys are Jews. You don't have anything to do with us. Now for a little background, the, this goes back to a lot of history between the two. You had the northern and the southern kingdoms that kind of divided it under some, some issues. Uh, the Samaritans broke off. And when they were taken into captivity by the Assyrians, this warring people, the Samaritans kind of got unfaithful. The Jews kind of stuck with it. They dealt with all the the struggles of being under captivity, and they handled it pretty well. But the Samaritans, they started intermarrying. They didn't really hold on to their faith. They didn't really stand strong. And so the Jews saw that, like, what are you guys doing? That's just compromise. And so they looked down on them. But when they finally got free, when the Israelites were all free and out of this captivity, they wanted to rebuild the temple. They wanted to rebuild Jerusalem. And and the Samaritans tried to hop on board with the Jews' plans, and, and the Jews were like, no, you guys left us. You were unfaithful, and you didn't hold on to things like we did. You, you were compromising, so no, we don't want your help. And that turned around, that made the Samaritans mad, because they just wanted to help, and so they started sabotaging their building process. And so this caused just a lot of beef between these two groups, and so that's kind of the backdrop for this. This woman comes, and this, this Jew wants to talk to her, and she's like, what are you doing talking to me? And there's, you're going to kind of see there's an edge about her that she just, she's got a lot of things that make this kind of a conversation she doesn't really want to be having. And there's a, so she's an outcast based on her subgroup of God's people. You have the, you have God's people, then you have the Samaritans within that. They're kind of an outcast group. But there's another detail. She came at noon. Now during this time and this place in the world, when they would go to draw water, they don't, you don't want to be spending that much time out in the desert in the middle of the day because it's hot. And so what they would do is they would go to draw water in the mornings. They would go out before it got real hot. But this woman came out at noon. That's the heat of the day. That's the middle of the day. And so what we can learn from this kind of picture that's being created is that that this woman doesn't want to be out there when everybody else is out there. She was an outcast even within her own subgroup of the Samaritans. She was out there trying to avoid all the, the... The group that goes out in the morning, she didn't want to go out with everyone. When they all went together and talked, had their interaction, she was avoiding that. She went out by herself. And we're going to see why in a little bit. It has a lot to do with how she's handled her relationships. So you have this woman who is really an outcast of the outcasts, and Jesus wants to talk to her. Jesus answered and said to her, verse 10, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So he came up asking for her to get him some water, and he starts to turn into a spiritual conversation. And she doesn't quite get it yet, but he's telling her that he has the living water she needs. We'll get to more of that in a minute. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. You don't have a bucket, you don't got a rope, what are you going to do? You are, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? She's got this edge about her, like, what are you going to do? What do you have? You, you can't handle this. You don't have anything to get the water with. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. He gets real deep right here. The woman says to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not not thirst nor come here to draw. She's like, I don't want to have to keep making this trip. We just flip on the tap and we got water right there. But this lady's like, I don't want to have to keep walking out here in the middle of the day in the heat, avoiding the public, avoiding all these people I don't really want to talk to because they're too good for me. Can you just give me that water? Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. So Jesus is getting all in her business. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Before we go on to that, he calls her out. He brings up her life, and so she starts to see that he's different. But why is she different? Why is she the outcast? She's had five husbands. And she's now living with this guy who's not even her husband. We're starting to see more of a picture of this woman and why Jesus comes to her. This woman came out to get water physically. She was thirsty physically. But Jesus is coming to her for a more important reason because she's thirsty spiritually. He comes out to this woman who's going through, who's been through the ringer Trying to be satisfied by her relationships. Trying to get the intimacy, the love, the appreciation, and the affection of these men. And she's running through them. And she's on her sixth right now. And she's not even married to him. It's like she's given up on that. Maybe she's cynical. Maybe she's frustrated. She's been through it. And she wants more than that. She's tired of where she's been. She's tired of what she's seen. And Jesus came to provide what she really needed. This whole dialogue is Jesus trying to show her that he has the living water she needs. He has the water that's going to satisfy her. It's not these relationships. It's not these, the love from these guys that's going to do it. It's the love from God that's going to replace and push out that need for all the love from these guys, from these people. And I want you to start to consider for yourself. I want to consider for myself, what are things in my life like that? What are things that I look to for my value? Things I look to to give me validation. Things that I'm trying to take my self-worth in. Because Jesus says you're going to drink of that water in a metaphorical sense. You're going to keep drinking from this well of these guys who you're just trying to leech off of. But it's like wringing out a dry rag. You're not going to get anything out of them. What are areas in my life like that? Areas that I'm trying to take identity in. Areas I'm trying to take satisfaction in that aren't Christ. He says, I am that well of living water. You come to me and I will provide what you need. I will give you that water that will let you never thirst again. Don't go to the dry rags to try to get water from those. He's right here waiting for us. And to this, she she sees that he calls her out for her life. But this is how she responds, "Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is where one is is the place where one ought to worship." So people have always read this, and I've always heard this taught. Like she's asking him, "Oh wow, I have this prophet in front of me. Here's a chance for me to ask. You know, you guys say to worship here, we say to worship here. What's right? What's truth?" But she never asks a question. There's no question mark there. She just brings up to me a religious defense or a religious issue to kind of deflect from the situation. I've heard, heard that plain. Whenever you try to start a biblical discussion with somebody, they can start to see, and they're like, okay, I see you're religious. Well, here's this religious difference I have. You know, well, you guys say this, and, you know, the Buddhists say this, and the Muslims say this. What, who can really know? They go high-level theology, and they just want to kind of glaze over and say, well, what can we even know? You guys say this, we say this. And I think that's what this woman's doing. She's deflecting from the guilt and the sin that she sees in her life. She's deflecting from the mess that's in front of her because she doesn't want to deal with this. That's how I see her responding. Jesus said to her Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. So she wanted to bring up these differences and try to get into this conversation that kind of takes it away from her and more to who can really know. But Jesus says the problem is, let's not even start there. He's not even going to get into the question of the specifics yet. He's going to start by saying, you don't even know who you're worshiping. So how can you please God? How can you really do what God wants if you don't even know who he is? He says you're you're worshiping who you don't even know. We're going to get into this more in a minute. But that's where the root of all this starts. And before we really need to, I don't know, get consumed with the rest of things, we have to focus on that first. Do we know who we came into worship this morning? It's so easy to come in here and just sit down and start singing the words and open your book and and sit there and amen the prayer or whatever, sit there through all this. But do we really know who we came into worship this morning? Because otherwise, Jesus says, yeah, you you do all all these other things. Maybe you have the cup. You got this stuff right. You're singing. You're doing things well. But do you even know me? And that's where we have to start. We have to prepare our heart for this. We're going to get into that a little bit more in a second. But he says in verse 23, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. So he takes this conversation and he's trying to show her that God's looking for a deeper relationship with her. He doesn't just want this this facade that she's created. He doesn't just want this facade of a religious life where she's in kind of the nation where people are religious. But she's not really in it. He says you got to be spirit and truth. There's truth that we have to follow, of course, but he wants to get into her spirit. He wants to dive deeper and he wants her to know God in her spirit. And he's trying to weed out the sin and the mess that is in her life by showing her that God's love wants in. He wants the spirit because if he's not in in the spirit, he's not even there. He's not even really there with her because she doesn't really even understand who she's coming to. My question for us is, do we know God? Are we doing things because we see like this rigid outline of what's supposed to happen and we're kind of following the outline but there's nothing really filling the center? Is there anything coloring in the outline that is God's plan? Is there a spirit in you that is filled with God's spirit? Is there life in you that's from God? Or is it a facade where you live like the Samaritans inside but this woman was really outside? Jesus wanted to come to her. And Jesus specifically went outside and waited. To come to her, so if that is you, if that is me, Jesus is sitting here waiting for us. He's going to meet us at a point in a time, and maybe this is that point in time. Maybe we all needed to be right here to hear this right now, like Jesus is waiting for us to show us right now. That he wants us to refocus. He wants us to redirect. The woman said to him, "I know that Messiah is coming." Verse twenty-five, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. So she just kind of still wants to put her arms length. And she says, well, the Messiah is going to come and, and he'll handle it all and he'll tell us. I just, just wait till that happens. And I see more deflection. She just, she wants him at arm's length. All, all we'll do when the Messiah comes. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Can you imagine how she felt? They've been looking forward to him this whole time. Looking forward to this guy who's going to come and who's going to save them from their sins. And he's going to come and, and save them. And be an everlasting Savior, a mighty God who would be there with them. And he's standing right in front of her and she didn't even realize it. He says, yeah, that's me. I can imagine the look on her face. That word I am he is the same phrase used in the Old Testament when when Moses said, you know, what am I going to do? When when they ask me, you know, how can we really believe that God sent you? And he said, tell them I am sent you. My translation says, I am he, but that's really italicized, that he is not there. He just says, I who speak to you am. He's using the phrase, I am. That phrase that only God can say. I was, I am, and I will be. He is the present at all times. Jesus said that right in her face. At this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking to her? Maybe it would have looked suspicious, but Looks suspicious, but nobody said anything. Verse 28, The woman left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. So while that's going on, verse 31, In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. So they went and got him some food. They came out, and they're like, You've got to eat something. You're already tired from all this walking. What are you doing? Get some food. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I want to zero in on this because this is something that is un- very unique in what Jesus says that's different from most of the others in this account. And if we're going to call ourselves Christians, that's, that's a real thing. It means Christ-like. And so Jesus' mentality right here we need to have. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they're already white for harvest. Jesus' food, what gets him going, what makes him satisfied, what takes care of him, what gets his spirit going is serving God. Can we say we're Christ-like in that? Can I say I'm a Christian if I don't have that mentality? Let's contrast it with the woman. What what she got satisfaction in was these guys she was running through trying to get her love and her affection from them. But Jesus said, the thing that gets me going, the thing that sustains me and what I need to survive is to do God's will and to serve God here, to do the will of him who sent me. He says, you know, you guys are looking at this harvest like you understand, you know, we in the valley have a lot of ag. We understand, you know, it's tomato season's about here for the harvesting and stuff. You guys say, well, we got about this long and the tomatoes are going to come off. We'll start the plant operations and we'll start getting the crop out of that. He's like, pay attention. Open your eyes. You're looking at all these physical things. You know when the harvest is here, you know the crops are coming, but you don't even realize the harvest is already here. Behold, I say to you, Open your eyes. Look at the fields, for they're already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. That both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. He's going next level right here. He says you can labor for something that's going to last forever. And you know, a lot of times, I think the way I see it, and I think many of the kind of people in my circle see it, is like, well, we've got all this work to do to try to convert people and try to save people. But he's like, it's already white. And I've seen that in some of our circles. Some of the young guys who've been converted recently, they, they've kind of come to us. And they kind of fall in your lap. And you feel like, I got all this work to do. And all of a sudden, they're there, they're growing, and they're with you. So it's not like we have to all of the time just do all the work, put in all of this effort to get everybody where they need to be. We just need to realize we need to be out there planting, watering, doing what we can. And it's, it's going to say that God's already started this work. Other people have already labored for this. There's already a lot going on. What's an interesting fact of our existence is that we we share information. So it's not like each person has no idea what's going on in the world. They understand that there's this man named Jesus. They understand that they have guilt, they feel guilt. There's a lot of things that we all share that we can use to bounce off of. There's already work going on in people's lives. He says it's, it's already white for harvest. Like the, I think the idea is kind of like cotton. Like it's already, the cotton is already sitting on top. Just go get it. Are we doing that? Are we sitting in the, on the tractor I don't know, just waiting for everything to happen? Like, oh, we got a lot of work to do today. Got a lot of sweat that's about to happen. I don't really want to do it. I think I'll take another break. He said, the fields are already white for harvest. Get out there and get going. For in this saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. That's the mentality we've got to have, is that we're not the only ones working here. We just need to put in our effort, do our part, and good things will happen. Jesus said that I'm the true vine, and if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. Jesus guaranteed us that. He guaranteed us we will bear fruit if we are in the vine, if we are in him. Now, if we try to do work apart from the vine, if we try to do work on our own and just say, you know, Jesus, I got this. He's like, you're not going to have any fruit, obviously, because if a branch is laying on the ground, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to grow, obviously. He says, but if you are in Christ, if you put in the effort, you put in your time and work and try to reap for him, try to sow for him, it's going to happen. Good things are going to come from it. We can be guaranteed of that. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So this woman went in and she told people specifically what happened to her. She went in and got real with people. And she didn't just say, you know, there's this guy Jesus. She said, here's what he told me. She got specific and showed exactly how he had affected her. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. So this woman started a big change. Many people started coming to them because she just walked in and was like, guys, this is the Savior and this is what he did for me. That's pretty simple for us to follow. If we show people our lives and say, you know what, this is where my life was. This is what I was doing. This is what I was feeling. This is what happened in my heart. And then Jesus came and everything changed. They're going to respond because they're going to want that. They're going to see that. We have feelings that everybody shares. We have guilt. We have feelings of depression we have feelings of struggles that everybody can relate to so if we share with them that how it works specifically with us get out there and just share it with people good things will happen and that's what happened with this woman she just got out and shared it and many more believed because of his own word then they said to the woman now we believe not because of what you said for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this indeed is the christ the savior of the world So it started with her bringing them around, showing them the Christ. But they went and they looked for themselves and they were like, wow, you're right. We ourselves have heard and have seen this. We found this out for ourselves. And people, we're all going to have to do that. People are going to have to do that when they come to Christ. They're going to have to find him for themselves. There can't be some surface level facade about this. We're all going to have to do that. Have we all done that? Or is it something someone else has told us so we've kind of gone, okay, yeah, I'll go with that. They said we ourselves have learned because we've seen. I want to go back a little bit to what Jesus said in in verse 22, you worship what you do not know. And as I think about, you know, some of the things we can take from this, one of the first things is understanding who who God is and and trying to get a better picture so we can kind of make some ground in this process of being, being more like he wants us to be. And Hebrews chapter 12 helps me get there with this. If you want to turn over there with me now, I want us to get just a picture of who that God is this morning. So if we're not there yet, we can get our hearts ready for the rest of the worship, get our hearts ready to see God for the rest of the week in the way He truly is. Hebrews 12, verse 18. The writer there says, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, and that burned with fire into blackness and darkness and a tempest and the sound of trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore for they cannot endure what was commanded and if so much as a beast touches that mountain it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow and so terrifying was the sight that Moses said I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling the writer of Hebrews is like getting in our face and he's trying to show us who we're dealing with when we come to God who we're dealing with when we come to this almighty God and he references back to the Old Testament when Moses was going up to get the, uh, the word from God and God said, I'm going to be up on this mountain. You come up to me and just you. And tell everybody, if anyone comes up to that mountain and touches it, they die. I don't care if it's an animal. I don't care if it's a person. You shoot them with an arrow. Don't even go get them. Throw a stone them from there. They need to die. And they couldn't handle that. That was too much for them like whoa this is crazy. And that's how God is shown here. Is he's this he's this tempest, he's this storm, he's this darkness, this blackness, this fire. You know, typically we deal with things that we can just go up and touch, we can handle, we can manage. The writer of Hebrews has shown us that you can't just deal with God like that. We can't just go up and touch him. He says he's like a storm. And the closest thing I can remember to this is when I was at backpacking with my dad and my brothers during deer season uh, quite a while back. I think I was like 12 years old. It was my first trip. We were up glassing this ridge, sitting on top of this mountain, uh, looking for deer. And off in the distance, we were kind of watching a storm that was way off out. And, but it was a clear day for all around us. It was blue skies and stuff. And while we were sitting there, one of those storm cells came in behind us, and we didn't see it. And it came on the top of the mountain where we were sitting, and it started dropping hail. It got dark quick. Lightning was dropping all around us. Trees were blowing up. The tree my brother was sitting under blew up, and the logs were flying past his head when he was running down the mountain. It got dark. It got scary. Hail was dropping, and I thought I was going to die. It was absolutely madness. The lightning, you could just feel it. It wasn't just like you saw lightning out in the distance, and then you heard the strike. It was around you when it hit. And everything went white when it hit. That's the closest I've ever felt to this kind of power. And that's what Moses said. Moses said, I'm literally shaking coming before this God. I'm trembling just being here in that kind of power in front of that presence. He goes on to say, But you have come to Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered or enrolled in heaven. To God, the judge of all. To the spirits of just men made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. When we go through our days, the world takes the edge off of God. They want to soften him out, make him kind of this idea you can kind of capture and say, well, I believe in this thing. I, I like to believe in God or whatever. But God has an edge to him that we can see from the descriptions of him as a fire and as a consuming thing. But he goes on to say, as we just read, he kind of has a change of tone. He says, but you've come to this innumerable company of angels and, and like a festal gathering. It's like a celebration you're coming to. You're coming to this God who wants to bring you in. Yes, he's dangerous and he's terrifying, But now we see him starting to gather us and to start to welcome us in. We learn from the New Testament that Jesus brought us near by his blood. He brought us close to this God that's terrifying and scary and real and big. To where we can come to this mountain Zion and he welcomes us. Can you believe that? That's written for you. He's welcoming you. Whatever situation you're in in life, however big your, your struggles or whatever you're going through seems right now, that's the reality for you. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth. So he's saying, these people who are down here, when they heard the command, hey, don't come near this mountain, or you'll die. Don't come touch this mountain or you'll die. And when they heard that, they're like, this is too much. This is crazy. That's nuts. You're 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 irrational. I'm not dealing with that. And they wanted to just turn away from that reality. They didn't want to deal with it. He says, Don't turn away like they did, because God didn't just let them go for that. They were held accountable for that mentality and for that reality they wanted to push out. So we have to see this reality of God, and we can't just push it away. We have to deal with it. He says, don't just run away because they're just like it happened on earth. God didn't hold them guiltless for that. God's speaking from heaven right now. And he says, you're not going to be held guiltless if you walk away from it now either. We're in the same boat as them. We have to take this information. We got to take this, even though it's even though it's hard to process, even though it's hard to kind of understand and keep at the forefront and keep God in that place. He says, we have to deal with it. We can't walk away from it or else God's not going to hold us guiltless. But now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. What did he just say? He said everything else is going to be shaken up. Everything's going to go away. The ground you're standing on is going to go away. Whether it's from life circumstances, it breaks you down, it messes up your life. Whether it's from just the reality that God's going to burn up this earth. This is not going to be left standing. He's showing us that everything we typically deal with is temporary. He's saying, so hold on to what can't be shaken. All this is going to go away, but if we hold on to the thing that's above us, that's not going to be shaken, we need something that to hold on to, that when the ground goes out from underneath our feet, we can hold on to something stronger and bigger and above us. Hold on to God, he's saying. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. Or let us be thankful, another translation says, by which we may serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. That helps my perspective a lot. Because when I read that, it makes me amazed that he would even care about me. That he is that big, that terrifying, that awesome, and yet he would send his... Most precious thing he owned, the most precious thing he could offer his son, who also came from free will. Like, that's who I'm dealing with, and they did that for me. Typically, we have a relationship where someone's either big and above you, and they could do something great for you, but they won't because they don't care about you. God combined the two, and He says, Yes, I'm big, I'm great, and, and I'm amazing, and I'm terrifying, all those things, but He's also like, Come. All you weak and heavy laden, and I'll take care of you. I'll give you rest. Take your yoke upon me and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. God is the most beautiful combination of those two things. So do we know that God this morning? Jesus said you don't even know who you're worshiping at. Our perspective, I think, really needs to start there to realize the magnitude of God because then we can start to see the beauty of the rest of it. So a few lessons we learned this morning that I just want to highlight Is that we need to see God for all that he is to really worship him like he wants us to. We cannot see him in all his power and all his might. So we can know that when we do the things we do, when we worship the way we do, that that matters. And it's not Jesus saying, yeah, you're doing things right, but do you even know me? I think we've looked a little bit into that this morning. And a little process for us as we're trying to put these things into our lives is... Jesus said, told the woman to drink of that living water and she would not thirst again. And that if she did that, it would become in her a fountain of living water. He said that would happen. But I wanted to add one more step because if you don't, if you're not thirsty, you're not going to drink, right? Like if you're full and you're feeling kind of, you know, waterlogged or whatever it is, you don't, if you're not thirsty, you don't want to drink. So what we got to do is we got to get thirsty first. In Matthew 5, Jesus says that whoever hungers and thirsts for righteousness will be filled. So if you're hungry, you're going to eat. If you're thirsty, you're going to drink. It's simple. Are you thirsty this morning for righteousness? That's a question I have to ask myself today. Am I hungry? Am I thirsty for it? Physically, I don't have to ask myself if I'm hungry or not. I didn't eat breakfast this morning, so I'm hungry. It's a simple yes or no question. But sometimes I can convolute that when I think about, you know, am I spiritually thirsty? Hmm. No, it's, you know it, you know it or you're not. If you're hungry and you're thirsty and you're getting after it, you know, I need this for my day. If you don't read one day, you're like, man, I don't feel right. If you're not reading the Bible and you're like, man, I, I missed a day, I don't feel right. Or I haven't spent time to talk to God today, I don't feel right. That's how you know you're hungry for it, you're thirsty for it. But what Satan can do is he can draw us away to where we're not even hungry for it. And we can starve without even knowing it. So we've got to get thirsty. And if we're thirsty for it, we will drink of that living water. And he says we're going to be satisfied in him. We're not going to need that, that self-esteem uh, kick, that, uh, that self-image kick where I have to create this image of myself because that's what's really going to be great for me. And everyone will see me this way. No. We come to Christ for our value. We come to him to satisfy our needs. And like this woman, it became a fountain inside of her. And she just went and showed people. And it changed them. And many came to know Jesus. Is this happening in us tonight? If it's not happening, if it's not coming out of you, then in reality we're probably not even drinking. Because Jesus says if you do drink, it will come out. It's a fountain effect. You can't put water in a fountain and not come out. It has to go somewhere. So if, if it's not coming out, are we really drinking? Because Jesus says It will. And if we're not drinking, are we really thirsty? Do we really want it? Because Jesus said that's the person who's going to be filled. That's the person who's going to be satisfied in this life. And if I'm not, you can start there. That's a great place for me to start. It's like the root of all of it. And that's one of the prayers I, I'm going to add to my prayer list this week is like, help me to want it more. Help me to be thirsty for it to where I actually feel the need for it, and I will come get it. <clears throat> And the harvest is here. He told us that it's ready for us to come get. We got to go out and get people because they're ready. Don't feel like all the burden is on you. God has already put a lot of things into place that all the people who are in our circles can be reached in certain ways. Just trust that. And back to this woman. God used this woman where she was at. Maybe you feel like your life's a mess. Maybe you feel like you've gone through the ringer. This woman... Came to a point where she had had five husbands, she was living with a man she wasn't married to, and Jesus used this woman for all these things. And she is in the Bible as an example for us. She didn't have to get things straightened up at home, she didn't have to go work out all of the mess that was created before she could have this this relationship with Jesus, before she could have this living water fill her. She didn't have to go unweave that web of family messes she had created. None of that happened before she had all these good things happen to her. She didn't have to fix everyone's opinion of her all at once. She didn't have to get her life to a certain place before God could work in her. That's one of the things I think we struggle with a lot is, you know, when when I get my life to this place and this time and everything works out, then I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to somebody about God. No, she was in the middle of all this. And she just went and told people it was right in the middle of a parched life, a broken home, and an outcast spirit that this woman found Christ and led others to Christ. Don't hold yourself back from coming to this and from making yourself useful to God. We can be our own worst enemy. That's how God works throughout the Bible. He uses that harlot, that prostitute. In the, in the lineage of Jesus, he uses the, the, the people who are at the lowest of the low, the outcast of the outcast, whatever your situation is, from top to bottom, Jesus will use you. And he has time and time again, and that's the message from this woman. And great things can happen in your life from here forward. you will just let it happen. And if you're not a part of this this family, if you're not added to Jesus' body to to learn him, you can do that right now. We learn from the, the, from the New Testament that if we hear the word and we believe it, we can be saved, that we can repent of our past lives, change and be added to the church after we confess that Jesus Christ is the son of God and, and if we baptized for the remission of our sins as our brother prayed. In Acts 2.38, we see examples of this and, and you can be added to Christ's body that way. You can contact his blood and if, you, and if you've already done that, but you're like, you know what? I need to refocus. I need to get to where I'm feeding off that living water again. You can pray to God from your seat. You can take care of that by yourself. But if you want to do that with us, if you need anything you need to work out publicly, we can do that with you, if you like, while we stand and while we sing. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com.